What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where you know what we're doing. We are making strength and conditioning not boring, and we're highlighting the practitioners in the field that make the field what it is. And we got a legend today. If you do not know, uh, Uncle Bob Alejo, you are one of the, you're, whether you're going to admit it or not, you're one of the reasons that people like myself and everybody else has this profession. So first of all, thank you for coming on. And second of all, thank you for blazing the trails because... If nobody else will say it, I'll say it. I appreciate what you did for this profession. Wow, that's a great uh, and humbling intro. You know, I, I appreciate that more than anything, more than the medals and the rings and the watches. You know, these days, that's what I'm all about. Um, still pushing to accomplish some things. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, really don't have anything left to prove, but I sure got plenty to accomplish. <laughs> Plenty to accomplish, and what you just talked about is is uh, my vision, my goal, my quest. I mean, I still remember when I, I called in on one of, I think it was the virtual CVASP, and you and Jay were talking, and I got to ask oh, a yeah. question, and I was, like, blown away. I was like, this is so cool. I get to ask these guys a question live, like, because you were probably one of the first that I knew of that were in the high-performance role as a strength coach, like as just yeah. solely an overview of a department and didn't have a team like that is the goal like that's what it should be all about well you know it's, it's funny you should mention that because that's something that i i just recently looked at a, another post and and uh, our good friend joe ken even mentioned something about it too and said you know certainly you agree with me on this and uh, you're right. You know, I was really blessed to have Mike Izzy, who was an athlete for me at UCLA back in the in the early 80s. And um, he became the athletic director and something we talked about for a long time and became a senior staff member and essentially plugged in the high performance model, which is uh, commonly spoke of today. Uh, I think it's the most effective performance and health delivery system that's available. Now you got to get the right people to operate it. Right. But, yeah. but the system itself is great. And, uh, I was fortunate to take that spot and I really felt like at some point I'd be able to create something for folks like me. And, and hopefully, you know, you don't have to wait till you're 60 years old to get that job, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that finally said, Hey, I want to have a bigger reach or I want to change my, my focus on the profession or what, you know, and to put yourself in a seat, where it's exactly where we always talk about somewhere where you have a seat at the table and a voice it's got to happen both of those and when you're a senior associate athletic director you're you're speaking for the athletic director and so that's something that's going to have some impact and unfortunately what i've seen over the last five years is those positions um have been maintained in some areas but in some areas dropped you know, just they just decided that that money should have been spent somewhere else, which is an absolutely an a, a absurd thought. Yep. Um, and we're also seeing it uh, plugged in in a way that's not even effective. You know, you have communication, people with communications background and business background and finance background running that area. I mean, again, you know, the absurdity reaches a level that 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 makes you speechless. Um but I'm glad you mentioned that. I think it's something I, that can still happen. And I, I talked about it yesterday. It was really not sent at any one thing, but it was a post by James Madison University, you know, allied integrated, you know, all the seven other words that are out there at every other place <laughs> and um, health and performance. And the requirement was must have a master's in athletic training. Huh. And to, to which I say, you know, that's, that's a disservice to the student athletes and frankly, a disservice to the athletic trainers to, to, to narrow that down into that box to think nobody else could do that is an, is not only an embarrassment, but it's thoughtless. Uh, and I think there's plenty of people out there from strength coaches, uh, PTs, athletic trainers, certainly too. Um, uh, exercise physiologists who are specializing in an area, particularly nutrition, where I think the best nutritionists mm. are PhD exercise physiologists. I mean, these guys have a grasp about the total concept and, you know, I mean, I could talk about that all day long. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's they're, they're The position is really posing. It, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, think about this. I mean, 
this is the question you would ask, or you see it, you know, like the, whoever gets announced or named or the new position gets, you know, brought up and God bless them for doing it. But let's say, you know, student athlete health and performance and welfare and well-being and whatever other things you want to, you know, uh, <laughs> duplicate uh, is so important to us here that we felt like we need to hire a communications expert, Ooh. a business expert, a finance expert to handle that really important part of student athlete welfare. I mean, that's a joke. That's a joke. So um, thank you for allowing me to rant and not answer your question. <laughs> or, or at least be grateful. And I am grateful that you noticed that. And I just, I just hope that thing turns around a little bit and, you know, maybe, maybe I can, you know, get back into it at some point in college athletics, that face has changed a little bit too. So there's some things and nuance there, but uh, I, I think it's a super important position and, um, and not only, and, 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 and am I biased? No, I'm not biased. I am pensive and, um, prudent when I say I think strength and conditioning professionals are the best qualified applicant for that job. Yep. Not the only, but the right. best. Not because I am one, I am, but I, you look at how we cross-pollinate, but that again is not to say that somebody else couldn't handle the job, but to say like, you know, I want a strength and conditioning professional for this, that's not right either, you know, so. One of the questions that I have for you then based off that is, do you even think that it's possible for that world of high performance manager to exist in college athletics with the trend of NLI and what college football has become? Because it's you're now just working for the head coach. And once the head coach makes the amount of money that they make, they're essentially the most powerful person at the school. Well, I don't think there's any question about that. Well, look, I mean, one of the questions I got asked, and it's not an easy answer. Somebody says, okay, great. You, Bob, or you like, you know, people like you with your, your background, you know, are the perfect candidate for that job. Now, who's going to hire you? Correct. And I say, well, as Tony LaRusso used to say, that's the turd in the buttermilk. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, he, in the mornings we get down there and get to go over our schedule for the day and spring training. He'd say, sit back and go, all right, where's the turd in the buttermilk here? You know? <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, you know, who hires who? And I, I do have an answer for that now after thinking about it for a while. But uh, you, you have to have an incredible backbone as an athletic director. And frankly, I, I don't see that strength being exhibited as much as it used to. Right. I mean, they're fearful that somebody's going to say something. They're fearful of Title IX. They're fearful of somebody being uncomfortable or, you know, offended. And so they, they, they back away on that, um, having to make the judgment. Um, I, I, it's difficult. It's, it's a wide landscape. But just I think what we have to remember here, and I was talking to somebody about this, you know, I'll tell you exactly who it was, Rob Butler, who's a fantastic PT, CSCS, who was leading the way at St. Louis in their organization, the Cardinals for a while, and was at Duke and helped us out with some testing while I was at North Carolina State. It just reminded me to tell him, like, you know, people, people get fearful of that position, Justin, and I'll tell you why, because they think, oh, Justin's going to come in here and tell us what to do. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. That's Amen. not the model. Nope. The model is that of facilitation. I'm coming in. I'm the high performance director. I go to Justin as a practitioner and I say, what do you need? How can I help you? I'm your first line of defense. You know, make sure you come to me first. I'm going to, I'm not telling you what to do now. I think somebody should have an above average knowledge of all those places, which now includes thankfully, um, the mental and, and clinical aspect of health, right? Uh, which is fantastic. But I think the, the, the number one quality, and I put this in a LinkedIn quote, uh, post the other day, the number one quality is leadership. You need a leader, somebody who's, who can take the masses and the masses will follow them. That's what you need somebody to lead because really the high performance model is about communication. That's all it is. It's about ensuring communication and therefore accountability, all right? Communication, lines of communications up and down, and you have a reporting line and that's, you know, people think it's, it's, oh, well, you know, no, no, no. When I say it's a reporting line, that means that now, Justin, you're in charge of analytics. Nothing happens unless it goes through you. You're supervising that. So I'm the director, 
you're in another system, I say, that's it. Now I've empowered you. I've not taken the power from you. Nope. I've made yep. you powerful. Mm -hmm. And anything that comes outside of that is wrong because that's not our system. Now you have the NIL in there. And I, I'll tell you, the, to me, the biggest thing the NIL does now, Justin, is it stops development. And I think we've seen that, for instance, in basketball right now at the college level. More, more college coaches, more college basketball coaches are looking for strength and conditioning coaches who have a professional background. Hmm. Because, of course, everybody in Division One basketball is going to play pro basketball, so why not have that, right? So they, uh, they want somebody that's, that can have that sort of, you know, how do we keep these kids here? Well, we have a strength coach that was in the NBA and was overseas or whatever like that. And so that... They're moving that way because there's no more, there's no more four-year periodization, really. I mean, it's, it's rare, right? So you got to take what you got and mold it right now. And so that's really the effect that I, that I saw uh, for us in physical development is you don't, periodization is really not something that's as much a, a powerful tool as it used to be because it's one and gone and one and gone and not to the pros. It's one and I'm going to another school. That's a good point. And you talked about the athletic director. And if any of our listeners are out there wondering, like, because you saw so closely working with an athletic director, what does it take from what you've seen to become an athletic director? And there, is there even a path for strength coaches to become athletic directors? Because you got to be the senior associate and we now have young strength coaches as assistant athletic directors. Is there a path that they could become an athletic director? And if so, what does that even look like? <clears throat> I can't hear you right now. I don't know why. Duh, 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 duh. You know, we're athletic directors are interested in building a brand new archway into the tennis center. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things. And if you look at some of these bios, these new guys that come in, it's all about them. Look what I did. Well, this guy did this there and I did that there. And all of a sudden uh. it's, you know, you're going to get your next spot, but it really, and, and it's not any fault of anybody's other than, you know, well, the, the, the NLI is part of it, but it's, it's, there's so much money. I mean, you know, you, you, people think there's a, there's some sort of competitive thought process or, you know, um, Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our membership site. If you find value from our podcast, you are guaranteed to find more value inside of the Strength Coach Network video library inside the membership. Doesn't matter the level coach you are, you can see all of our 170 plus lectures sorted three different ways. Based on the level of expertise coach you are, aspiring, established, or head, you can sort it by every sport imaginable, and you can sort it by every topic in strength and conditioning. This makes all of the content consumable easy for you and for your staff members to be able to deep dive on any topic in strength and conditioning. Click the link down below to try the site out for 24 hours for only $1. Then your membership turns into a monthly membership where the price is less than $30 a month for $29.99, which is less than going out to dinner by yourself. You have access to all of this content. Click the link down below. Athletic directors are being circumspect saying, you know, well, if we go forward with this, we'll join the big 12 and we'll do this and that. It's all about money. Uh -huh. I mean, shoot, the top 30 schools are all in debt, all of them. And, and this is going to keep growing. I, I frankly, I'd like to get their banker. I mean, where I don't have to pay anything back. <laughs> I mean, there's schools that are 20, 30, 40 million dollars in the hole, I think. I mean, how's that happen anywhere? Jeez, I'm looking at my car out there and I'm like, I need a couple hundred bucks just for next month's payment for Christ's sake. These guys are... You know, so I, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I, I really, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to block myself in here. I, I was going to say, I, I don't know that any of us in the strength conditioning profession are prepared for that because gotcha. you're, and, and because we want to be integrated with people, we want contact. We yeah. want to be in and out and making this communication and this back and forth. I, I mean, I don't think it's happening anymore at, at that, at that athletic director level. And, where, you know, they're going to show up at your practice or in the weight room or 
you know, really, really get to know who you are like they used to in the old days. So I, I don't, I don't know what that path would be, honestly. You talked about finance right there. And that was something that you, myself and, um, Dillman were talking about at the coaches conference. And that was kind of something right. you said that you wanted to really, really harp on what was, what was kind of on your heart then and on your heart now about the topic of finances and, and strength coaches. Cause it doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, shoot, we, we really, we, uh, we batted around a lot of stuff that other day, didn't we? Sitting oh, yeah. there talking. Um, when I think of finances, I think of salaries. And when I think of salaries, I think about something that is difficult and rarely discussed as a strength coach. You know, we don't, we're not really good at that because that's not what we do. And we should be. Um, and, you know, you, you got to start talking about your work. But it, there's a little balance there, right? And this goes back to the same old, you know, the posts and the conversations you hear about, you know, don't take that $30,000 job, you know, that's not right. You got to, you have a degree and you should be paid more than that. And my response to that is, do you think nobody's going to take that? You don't take it. Somebody will. It's so it, I, I think it's a little bit uh, selfish to say that out loud. I mean, especially knowing that, you know, someone my age, which is, you know, I don't know if anybody is my age doing it anymore, but let's say, <laughs> let's say somewhere around there, you know, we, we were working for, you know, five, six, $7,000 a year. My first job was $10,000 at UCLA, only 10 months, no guarantees, no benefits. Now that's not unusual for those times, right? So, you, you know, what are you going to do? Because if I don't take it, somebody else will. So what are you going to do? You know, I mean, <laughs> This isn't like, you know, this isn't like uh, med school, for Christ's sakes. I mean, think about it. What, what? And by the way, nobody owes you a job. That's your choice. There's nothing that's whatever, right? You know, there's nothing that guarantees you, oh, I'm going to get my degree in exercise physiology and make a hundred grand. Well, you might. But but there's if there's somebody that'll take it for 70, then you're watching him do his job while you're just wondering what the hell happened. So I, I, I think that. The biggest thing is to learn how to discuss finances and learn how to compare, gather enough information to show up in a room because what's the oldest argument? I don't get paid enough. What's the oldest argument for administration? We pay you too much. All right? <laughs> so you got to be prepared for that and you got to go in and here's a list of guys that are like me. You know, I'll tell you exactly what I, the way I look at it is like baseball. And if you if you're a second baseman, you have you know a year that has your average and your whatever. They, you don't you just don't come up with some arbitrary figure, and and certainly neither does your agent. He's going to come in there, and and so is the organization. Look at all the second basemen and see where you fit. The the rest is just emotion and what we think about you and all that, <laughs> right? So there's there's what there's what you think you're worth. There's what they think you're worth, and then there is what exactly you are worth. And somewhere in there, you got to bat that round a little bit, but you need to come in there and be prepared. You know, I think, I think oftentimes we're just unprepared. We don't have, you know, we, we have all this data on bench presses and sprints and acceleration, but then we show up and try to get a salary and we ain't got nothing, you know, like I, I want more money, no shit, <laughs> you, know? you know, like, so, um, I, I think that the financial part of it is, um, it's got to be talked more now. And then of course we do have a separation, right? You got your, your, your division one football schools yeah. and those coaches, and then you have all the Olympic sports. I mean, there's a vast difference in those salaries and for a good reason, right? I mean, there's some more money applied to football and basketball. I still think I'd like, I'd really like to see these coaches who are making five, six, seven, a million dollars a year, not a bunch of them, but it's a couple kind of, hold the flag a little bit for some of those people at the Olympic sport level, you know, I mean, in a common sense way, you know, I don't think there's going to be a director of Olympic sports making $500,000 anytime soon. Um, but I think that, you know, given again, the hours and the passion and the input and the, and the effort that we give is going to have to bring something up, but I, I'd like to see somebody with, you know, who's really making a good salary really promote uh, some of these younger coaches and not necessarily younger coaches, I'm sorry, but the Olympic side to get a little bit of boost. I mean, there's still guys down there making 30, 40, 50 grand, mm -hmm. you know I mean? And, and loving it. And I don't mind it, 
but I, I think there's, you know, at that level, I mean, you get a 10% raise, that's a lot of money, right? 5% is a lot of money, right? Out loud. So uh, I think that that's going to be different. And, you know, as, as, as this football and uh, basketball thing grow in the NLI, I mean, you know, more and more money is going to be pushed that way. My fear is that that money that's being used in the Olympic sports at some point, it, it may not be able to be sustainable. Say, you know, sorry, tennis, golf, or you, you need to put that into football. I mean, if you really want tennis and golf here, football's got to have that money. No, you're right. And I've seen that sometimes where they, they fund it through that because of, you know, what the, those, those sports are able to bring in revenue wise. Um, when you talk about the million dollar coaches, you know, mm -hmm. do you think that there should be more of them considering how much time we spend with them? And if you want to talk that, you know, offensive and defensive coordinators make what they make. If you're the strength and conditioning coordinator, I don't think you need to be making the two, three million because you're not recruiting. And that's the hardest part about what a position coach does is recruit. Do you think the million dollar as a full-time salaried strength coach in football is extreme? If not, what do you think? Well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, it's, it's what you're worth. It's what they're going to pay you. What, yeah. they, what they think you're worth. And, and finally, you know, we used to see all this BS flying around earlier. Well, he's the most valuable coach on our staff. And that's why we pay him a hundred grand. Right. Or the uh, culture starts in the weight room, but you're making 20 K. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then you say, well, we can easily measure that because your staff has got the linebacker coach and the dealer. We can look at all those and I don't make as much as them. And you just said publicly in your conference that your media presser that, oh, he's the most important coach. Well, pay me like that then, you know, and, and now we're seeing that and, you know, uh, which is good because if that's how you, I mean, again, that's, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel that, you know, you're the head coach, you get to run the ship. So if you think that's the place where the money needs to be spent, Good. So I, I think it's really based on what your system is and how you want to run it. So I, you know, do I, I, I can't put a cost on that. I mean, apparently Harbaugh thought that was important and, and uh, the guys at Oklahoma state thought that was important. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think Alabama's up that way somewhere, Dave Ballou. I mean, somebody felt that was important. And so that's, I, I can't, I'm not going to deny anybody making a good salary. I mean, shoot. Um, but I think it, it does, it does, I'll tell you what it does do. Every time those guys get a salary raise, everybody else does too. And that's what I'm saying. That, that, that's why it'd be important for them to kind of, and I know that there's a separation now. Sometimes these departments, they don't ever talk. I mean, I've, I've called football coaches to go, Hey, did you talk to so-and-so in the Olympic department? Like, no, I haven't, I, I've never seen him or I never see her. You know, I never haven't talked to him in a couple of years, you know, so but that doesn't mean you're not for the profession. And I, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, Troy Aikman, this, so this is years ago when he got drafted, there was this thing called, I don't know if you remember, you might be too young, a quarterbacks club that, that uh, Lee Steinberg formed. So it was Warren Moon, Dan Marino, all the best. They, they started their own business. They had their own jackets. And it, it was really cool. And so the, Troy gets drafted, he goes out there and, you know, he's like, I'm a little nervous, you know, I'm making all this money. I haven't even thrown a pass, you know, like, wow, all these guys. And, and when he came, I, he was a golf tournament and uh, he came, he came back to school, I think, or I saw him somewhere. I came and I said, well, how was it? You know, he goes, oh, it was great. You know, we talked a little bit. How was it with, you know, all the other stuff? He said, well, as soon as he walks in there, Dan Marino comes right up to him, sticks his hand out and says, hey, Troy, welcome to the club. Make as much money as you can because it's good for all of us. And, and that's the, that's the piece. I think guys are scared to tell people how much they make. Well, I don't want to say, cause then I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> that's crap. I remember when, when I, when I got into baseball, the first, and we started trying to get salaries for the strength coaches in baseball, guys wouldn't fill it out. You know, like just put it on a blank piece of paper, write it on toilet paper. I don't care. Just hand it in so I can see if we can get a grip on this. Right. There's like 12 guys in the room when we first started you know, and seriously, and, you know, 10 pieces of paper get handed in. I'm like, come on, seriously, two guys aren't going to hand in a piece of paper. Like, well, my ball club doesn't want anybody to know what I make. I said, you damn right. They, they don't want you to know what those other guys make because you're getting the shaft. So, you know, if you have a big salary, report it because it's good for everybody. If you're embarrassed by your salary, report it. 
so we can get this thing moving, right? So I think that's where this this is. You got to get more. I mean, again, talking about the uncomfortability, Justin, of talking about salary. You got to be able to say when people say, "How much do you make?" You know, oh, it's funny when you. It, and I know you've seen this, right? So you know, what what, what is your salary? You know, I'm you know I'm around two hundred. Oh, you really don't know what you make? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> of course, you tell me what you make. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke. So uh, I, I I just. Uh, I think you're worth what you're worth. I mean, we've seen that and, and there, there seems to be plenty of money, although that money seems to be a little bit better uh, handed out with the football uh, basketball groups at the D1 level. <clears throat> so anybody listening right now, he's talking about a Hall of Famer, Troy Aikman. And I mean, talking about baseball, like you've been around a lot. I'm not going to box you in on just one thing, but what has been like the top athletic freakiest just most impressive things you've seen in your career top three five whatever come to your mind wow that's an interesting question you know it's funny the first thing that pops my head is a baseball thing which is is not because of baseball itself it's because of what how it happened it's my ricky henderson story Ooh, that ricky, i mean come on now what that that hasn't been totally corroborated howard bryant who's a really good friend of mine, Ryder, former ESPN guy, and, and wrote a book about Ricky. And, and he, he couldn't get anybody to corroborate the story, but came pretty close. I'm, I'm thinking that that's how I remember it. So Ricky had a day off. He was going to DH, going to lead off, right? <laughs> so, you know, I come downstairs, and I'm watching the first inning because, you know, being, being around, everybody wanted, Tony wanted everybody on the bench on the first pitch. So uh, we're watching the game, you know, and all of a sudden Tony says to me, you know, he's Tony's always like he's in the third inning, you know, on the first pitch. He's like, you know, figuring this whole thing out. And he looks at me and he says, have you seen Rico? And I said, nah, he was upstairs last night. I see him. He's like, oh, all right. So, you know, now there's two outs. All right. And uh, he's like, hey, you know, might want to go find out where Ricky is, you know, like, oh, shit, like it's coming. It's coming time. So I go running upstairs. To look for him and uh the, the place is empty there's nobody in the clubhouse so I, I i go looking around i go in the bathroom well he's in there so i said i said rico and he's like yeah i said dude the inning's almost over and you're leading off he's like oh man so you, you hear you so there's tile in the in the bathroom right and you can hear the spikes you know click 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 click, click. and he goes go to my locker get my get my oakley's and grab my bats and i said okay i'll see i'll see you downstairs so i go down by the time I get downstairs, the team team's changing. Pitcher's out there throwing his eight warm-ups, you know. And Tony's looking at me like, what's going on? I go, I don't know. I don't know. So I go running back. I go, I go looking up. So in, in the Coliseum, there's these huge steps that go up to the clubhouse. So I'm at the bottom, and I'm watching Ricky. He's, he's, he's coming down the steps, pulling his pants up like this, <laughs> jumping down the steps, comes all the way down. And as he gets down to the bottom, the, the announcer – who's a, you know, an icon who's now since passed, you know, the leadoff hitter, number, you know, 24, Ricky Henry. So Ricky comes down, he grabs a couple of bats and shakes them, like just checks them out, puts his helmet on, goes out there, gets in the box, first pitch, boom, gone. No warm up, no nothing. So guys that warm up, you know, like, like when Tony gives guys a day off, he lets them just say, don't worry about it, you know, just show up at game time. Because especially with a guy like Ricky or the older guys, you know, he's really Tony's really good with that because he, he, um, you know, he lets them get prepared as as veterans. He didn't warm up. He didn't do anything. He just walked right out down down the stairs, hopped in the box, one swing, boom, gone. That's unbelievable. That that to me, and I've seen you know, I Reggie Miller, Jackie Joyner, Mike Powell. I mean, his names just go crazy at UCLA those ten years I was there. That's got to be one of the greatest feats of athleticism I've ever seen. You know, I mean, so they say hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do. So if he just did it after coming from the bathroom with no warm up, right? I couldn't like, believe it. I, I never seen anything like it. There's been lots of stuff like that. I mean, I, I've seen you know John Brenner, who was a world class shot putter, seventy footer, and best in the world at some point. I spotted him for he squatted seven forty three. He was going for a, a single. And I mean, he made that Alico bar look like licorice. It was just like me, like that. But he said, "Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go for one, right?" So he, he's, I'm, I'm behind him. Like I'm gonna grab him, right? <laughs> you know. So, but there's guys on the ends, and 
So he goes back and he goes down and up and he gets it, right? And so I go to I go to guide him into the rack and he and all of a sudden he goes, I'm going again. Like, oh shit. And he goes down, boom, he comes paddling back up again. And he puts the bar in the rack and he turns around, he's got blood coming out of his nose and everything. Like, oh quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. Now that so that was impressive to me because, you know, as a former competitive lifter or lifter in general, like just like you, you know, you know what it's like to say I'm going for one or I'm going for two. You don't just do it and say, oh, I'm going to do another. You know, he just, he just said, I'm going again. <laughs> That's another one that I thought was really good. There's plenty of cool instances. By and large, you know, when I was at UCLA during those years, it was just a, a phenomenal run of the – at the time, some of the greatest athletes in the world, certainly in track and field. And I mean, literally every sport we have somebody who eventually became an icon worldwide, you know, Reggie Miller in basketball, Kobe Jones on the soccer field, Jackie Joyner, Mike Powell, Kevin Young, all world record holders, uh, Tom Jagger, 50 yard record holder in the freestyle. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you just, it's crazy, you know, how many, and I was really, I really was exposed for the first time at an elite level of athlete. So it wasn't just like the best college player. I mean, every, every one of those people end up going and including baseball, you know, Todd Zeal, Mike McDonnie, Hamlin, Jeff Conine. Gosh. I mean, tons of, tons of great players. Like, so how do you handle hearing any strength coach that might be younger and they don't understand the background and they might like, how do you, when you've seen that level of excellence, how do you relate to other coaches? Because that's a once in a lifetime opportunity to be around those type of athletes. Like how do you handle coaching people that aren't like that when you are, or, or, or coaching the coaches that didn't have that same experience? Cause that is just unbelievable. It really is. Well, the first thing I can tell you that I don't toss around the word elite at all ever. Because it's, you know, you, you see it way too much. And there's not that many elite athletes in the world. They're just right. not. Just like the word goat is thrown around too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, you know, when I think about elite, I, I think about best in the world. Because that, I mean, if you want, if elite's top of the top, it's the best in the world. And, you know, when you say, oh, you know, this guy, you just pick a sport. Oh, he's an elite athlete. Well, he might be elite in his sport in America. But he's not, he's not elite. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to, I, I make sure people understand, like, you, that's not what that is. You know, you, you really have to respect that term to see what it actually looks like. Uh, and again, you know, when I look back at, at being able to walk out to the first curve uh, at Ducks at Drake Stadium, uh, that's how far the weight room was from the track was, well, I don't know, 40 yard. I saw the world's greatest track athletes out there. And I, I see what that looks like. And you just, you just, you just can't imagine it when you see it, but here's the other thing, you know, when it, you know what it's not. Yes. Right. And so that, I think that's the two things that you really get out of that. I, I don't really, you know, I think the biggest thing is to make sure that, that you don't spend a lot of time looking at other athletes and what they do your focus has got to be present right here with this woman or man and what make them better. You can't really look down there. You've got to make them better, which is why all this tracking stuff is great in, in, in the, in the tech and all that. I believe in it. I like it. Um, at the same time, you can't say, Hey, what are those other guys doing? You know, what, or what's going on in the, you know, what killed me was early on with soccer because soccer in Europe was really, doing a lot of that stuff way before we were. Yep. And some of the soccer coaches were taking a look at, you know, Bundesliga or Premier League data. And I said, oh, we don't have a guy here that can that can run water out to a freaking Premier League player. Why are we looking at the distances and times? It's just yes. ridiculous. Yeah, you got to worry about your own team. Like that. that's when I first, when we first got GPS at Towson, the head football coach was like, oh, how does this compare to other teams? I'm like, bro, I'm not giving you any recommendations right now. We're just collecting data on what you do and what we do. It doesn't right. matter. Like, it's got to be us. Right. 
No, I mean, there, there's no other way to do it. And, and you, you know, you're, the, the data thing is important. The most important thing about gathering data is to make your data better. That, that's it. It's, it's not about yes. comparing data. It's making your data. And you want them to bench X amount of weight. And it's going to be some time before we're going to see that, right? Well, you can't, you can't leap over that. You can't take the elevator to the penthouse. You've got to hit every one of those floors. So what's, what's the virtue in looking at that? I, the way I look at it is, I think it's curious. You know, it's interesting, but it means nothing to me. Nothing. And, and here's, here's what they don't get about then. Don't get me started on data because you're going to run out of oh, battery. Oh, I just got you started. I just got you started. Go with it. And your headphones are going to fall off and... You know, no, I'm dialed in. What do you got? I'm going to get grayer as we saw. Well, I mean, the thing you forget about the, the data is that if we both have a tracking system, whatever, who knows, heart rate, whatever, we both have those systems. And then I want to compare their load. Let me just make it real simple. Their load to my load. Okay. Well, the data doesn't, it's, it's just, it's just a, to a toy. There's nothing, it doesn't do anything on its own. It's going to collect all this stuff. Whatever you tell it to do, it's going to collect all this stuff. <laughs> and then you say, okay, well, their data is different than ours. And I say, well, you're only just looking at the numbers. Here's what's really different. Our room, our coaches, our scheme, yes. our climate, our grass, our turf. There's all this other stuff that you, you have to add in. If you really want to do it, and everybody talk about, oh, you know, we took a deep dive. Dude, you're diving in the three-foot pool. <laughs> You're not doing any diving at all. You just you just busted your neck on that three foot dive. You're missing all the good stuff. So uh, that's the thing that I think we're missing for sure. There on top of the. So this is the way I, this is the way I say it. And I said this years ago. And, and catapult, Vald, whatever these it, they're great companies. And like I say, I like it. I think it gets me closer to certainty that's what we want right i want to get as close to certain as we can because nothing really is certain in life and training and whatever you can't really be certain too much so i like it but it's it doesn't do anything like my son i could tell my son here take this catapult i want you to look at justin lemur right here take those numbers and give them to me he can do that I, he doesn't need any you know five day in service to do that he does it in minecraft <laughs> you know but, but, but what it is, is it's operator error. I mean, think about this now. Think about this hard. Of, of all the time that you know about and all the time I know about in performance, there's never been more technology, more depth of understanding of biomechanics, kinematics, kinetics, and physiology than ever before. Still, to this very day, we've not seen any significant difference in injury reduction at all, zero. And I say zero, somebody said, well, last year we reduced our injury. Yeah, that's, that could be just white noise. Let's, let's take a look at it over five, seven, eight years, right? But we haven't seen anything. It's the practitioner, it's, it's operator error. Look, it's like a toaster. You put toast in the toaster and burn it. That's your fault. It ain't the toaster's fault. Yeah, don't blame that. Or like the car. If you get in an accident, don't blame the car. Exactly. And so that, that's what, that's what just, bef, just befuddles me. Like, how are you guys not figuring this out? Well, again, the deep dive. Everybody's looking for that 1%. Let's look at the fascicle and the Golgi right. tendon body. And I'm like, well, the Golgi tendon body would be good if that guy could squat worth a crap. I mean, you can't. that's not even a... Nobody would consider that a clean, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, you'd have to stretch the definition for that to actually be a lunge, you know, when you look at it, like, let's, let's do the basic things. Those things still make you hit the homer, right? I mean, you, you, you can make 50% gains on those things and you're looking for that one little 1%, you know, ATP, come on, dude, it gets boring. Was it baseball that did it because of Moneyball and the movie and analytics because baseball had always had the biggest track record? Or was it the fact that teams in Europe were doing it? Like, what drove it then, in your opinion? Uh, well, 
I mean, in, in baseball, it was, yeah, I mean, essentially, I was there for it. It was Billy Bean and what we did in Oakland, you know, started all that stuff in motion. But it, it was happening in other places, mostly in Europe, and nobody really grabbed onto it. Because baseball, baseball was really one of those intuitive sports, right? You know, I, I mean, I know this guy hasn't gotten a hit in a while, but I feel like he's going to get one today type of thing. And and let's, let's, let's be clear about intuition, right? It's not a crystal ball thing. Intuition is a background of experiences that happen like that. You see, they just flashes in front of you, right? It's that same thing that lets you know, like, I'm going to take a whack at this, right? Boom, and you get it. It's not just something that you just, you know, falls out of the air and hits you in the head like an acorn, like, oh, are they going to go bench presses? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's not like that. And, and so intuition is, is a valuable part. In fact, Catapult may have gotten a little pissed at me. I was the one of the keynotes at the, at the basketball one, you know, like 150 years ago, but, uh, they, they, I said, you know, here, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, the best results are science, intuition, and common sense. You have to have all three of those. If you don't have all three of those, you're done. Intuition, common sense, and science. You can't do it without the science. But you also can't do without the intuition because the science are just numbers and the numbers don't have heartbeats. They don't have lives. Mm -hmm. So you, once you understand that, then then it comes into the common sense piece. You know, I, you know like, like some of the things we're seeing now, people are debating about these common exercises and exercises have been around forever. Somebody finally just said, OK, let's just not worry about the science for a minute. Just look at that. Does that really look like that makes sense? And now all of a sudden we find out it doesn't. Right. And so you just go, oh, OK, but that's going to be backed by the science. <laughs> that's going to be backed by the science in the end. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love technology and I love data because it gets me to closer to the certainty. And that's what we all want to do. We want to be as close as we can to making sure we make the right move. Not for me, for but for you. Yep. When I'm training you, I want it to be the best for you. But um, that's it's important to understand all those other things that are involved. Otherwise it's, it's just a huge mistake. It's not, it's not, it's not going to be fundamentally sound. And, it'll, and in the end, it's just a waste of time. And I think today I've seen it more times than I've ever, more times than I have not seen it. People are just gathering as much data and doing all this testing and not doing a damn thing with it. Nothing. Zero. I, I agree with that. And do you think, that with the more and more profession, like the applied sports science roles, do you think that that's eventually just, it's going to eventually work itself out where people are going to become better and better educated on it? Or where do you see this thing going in the next five years? If you did like, and I know you've, we can't predict it, but like, where do you just see the field of strength and conditioning going? Well, I think it's, it's evolved. It's evolved out a little bit, right? Cause in the beginning, we were the data scientists. We were yeah, the we tracking were systems. We were, we were big data. Somebody says, you know, it's big data. And I'm thinking, was data ever not big? I mean, even though we were taking average squat and deadlifts and stuff, I mean, it was still important. I mean, I wasn't taking it, you know, for my health. It was something that's going to help me prescribe, right, and and create programs. Um, so I, 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 I think it's, you know, we did all that. We were the nutritionists. We were, we were all of it. Right. And then all of a sudden these, these things became a little more, um, specific and more fractionalized. There's more expertise in those areas, right? We knew it where it became too heavy. It became too heavy for all of us to do it, which is fine. But at the same time, I, I think if you're not, if you're not paying attention to all that and, you know, listen, it's, it's not it's not that big a deal to be up on the latest nutrition or the biomechanics and all. And I think most strength conditioning coaches are where I don't think the contrary is true in the other disciplines. But I, I, I think you have to, you know, the, the more value is for you to know that when somebody in. In the sports science or somebody in rehabilitation or some nutritionist telling you something that's not true. You, you need to know about that. You need to be able to discern that because listen, here's, here's what happens to these people who have the fear, right? Like, Oh, you know, uh, uh, that that's my job. You know, I, I, you know, you're, you're doing my job now, you know, you trying to do my job. And I say, no, 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 I'm not trying to do your job, but you need to help me do mine. 
And, you know, I'm not going to get yelled at because you're not giving my athlete the best nutrition, or I'm not going to get yelled at because that rehab was really bad. And I, you said, no, he's ready to go. And so I set him up on the ready to go program and he got re-injured. So it's not that I want to do your job. I want you to help me do mine or we're going to have a problem. That's how it should be. Yeah, no, I mean, that's people. I mean, this is a guy that has the amount of expertise that you've, in the different jobs and places that you've had, like kind of, kind of mind blowing. Um, anybody that <laughs> yeah. doesn't know, anybody that doesn't know, give them the quick version of your background, you know, from oh, how you started to, you know, you mentioned the fact starting off at $10,000, but like, yeah. how has, how has your role evolved from, you know, everywhere, even with stops at power lift and, um, you know, the final role at, uh, Cal state Northridge. Well, so this is my 42nd year in coaching. Um, I started out at UCLA in 84. Uh, well, that's not true. I started out up at in Chico when I graduated from Chico State, California State University, Chico, Northern California, about 100 miles north of Sacramento. Fantastic education and background to play baseball and go to school. Um, I was a director there, uh, an assistant at some point with a hospital-based sports medicine center. And that's where I kind of started coaching. And I took over the football team at my school. And, and then from there in 84, I got a job, spent 10 years at UCLA. And in those 10 years, we ended up winning 22 national championships across all sports. Absolutely the most dominant school at the time. Um, football, basketball, I mean, you know, funny story, football, we, we ended up setting a, a New Year's Day bowl game record. But, you know, then I think there was only like seven bowls. <laughs> yeah. Now there's a, 107 bowls. Let's see. Um, from there, I went to the Oakland A's for almost, what, what almost 10 years? So 93, I went to the A's. I was their first. I did a lot of firsts. I know that. I was talking to somebody else about that. So I was the first assistant strength coach in UCLA history. Jeez. Then we moved, then, then in my seventh year, we separated football and Olympic sports, and I became the director of all Olympic sports and the administrator of the room. So we were the first school in history to separate football and everybody else. Um, then I went to the Oakland A's and became their first strength coach in Oakland A's history. I did that for 10 years. Of course, that ran into was it 10 years, 1993 to 2001. Ran that into Moneyball, so I was part of that. And um, that was exciting. Again, something that we built. Um, took about four years off, went with Jason Giambi to the Yankees and, you know, started a website, wrote a book, stayed there for a while, and then um, came back to UC Santa Barbara and was a director at Santa Barbara for four years, um, 2005 to 2008. 2008 was on my first Olympic team as an Olympic team member, so I think I'm pretty sure I was the first strength coach uh, to be on the Olympic team, not just somebody who was coaching somebody and went, but I got the jacket and everything else to walk, but we, we had to play too early the next day. So I didn't take that trip. Here's, here's a great story. So we, we ended up losing to Latvia in the first round. We were now, we were world champions. And then Phil Dalhauser and Todd Rogers go and we play in the, in the, and so there's a, they have a tournament and then they play the games, right? So they have a round robin, three matches. We lose to Latvia, arguably the worst team on the face of the earth. What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information. Let's get back to the show. 
taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches, athletic trainers, sports scientists, and everybody in the high-performance department. Most notably, their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use. Not only did I use them when I was at Towson, but I've used them when I've moved back here to Iowa with Tucker at Goldfinch. So, check out Hawken Dynamics in the link down below. Now, let's get back to the show. And Phil Dowhauser, who's 6'9", is hitting the ball into the net. I'm thinking... We didn't come to Beijing for this is unbelievable. Like, you know, so we're like, so we come back and work out. And so my plan then was to work out after every match because I'm, I'm planning to play in the final, which we're going to be there for a month. So we're going to work out after every match. That way they can have the next day off. So and then they can do whatever they want. So we're waiting in. Todd's there. You know, it's like midnight. Beijing time, who knows what time it is everywhere in the world. But, so we're waiting. <laughs> Phil's not there, right? And, and, and you know, you can debate, you know, the reason why we lost it, but really it was Phil that, you know, hit a couple of balls into the net and things are like, you know, God dang. And, and who eventually becomes the greatest player in the world in, in the decade, his era. Um, and so finally he comes in late. Sorry, guys. You know, like, okay. All right, look, what are we going to do here? You know, said, so, well, we're, you know, we're going to have to get going. So he ends up, I end up finding out that what happened was, so you, when you go to the Olympic games and you, and you walk in the procession, you know, the one that we all see on TV, yeah. there's a chute that, that you can head off to, and then they'll take you back to the village or wherever you are, because again, you know, otherwise you have to stand out there for three hours. There's no sitting. Well, Phil missed the turnoff. And so come to find out, he goes, my legs were dead. And I go, how's that possible, man? I'm looking at this when I goes, I don't like, I, I missed the turn off and I, we were out there standing for three hours. I go, okay. So in 2012, when we come to London, no walking in the thing. All right, let's get going. And then we just dominated the rest of the tournament. <laughs> uh, so, so 2008, then Billy Bean called me back to the A's in 2008. And I went back and, um, and then 2011, I went to North Carolina state, became their first director in history there. So I was over everything, including football, which they hadn't had before. And of course, football did that. I, you know, I was managing that and, uh, then went to London 2012 games. Didn't do so well there, um, for my second time. And then from there, uh, Came to CSUN as a senior social athletic director for student athlete welfare and performance and plugged in the high performance model a la Mike Izzy, who was our uh, former track athlete and our AD, who was completely supportive in that area. Really changed what we wanted to do, not culture wise, but I think the culture does change a little bit. And, and I'll go on record saying it because I've written it that I think culture is a strong term for athletics. It's, I don't know what you call it, but I think we all know what that means. So I'll use it in this context. But, you know, there was a lot of people that said, oh, you know, I really don't think that's a good idea. And I'd say, well, that's what we're doing. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so, you know, we plugged things in the right way and got that communication line going. And uh, after that, I ended up going to Dynamic Strength and Fitness, working with them until this past November. And now I am an assistant strength and conditioning coach with the Los Angeles Angels and my good friend, Ron Washington, the manager who sat next to me all those years in Oakland. And he is one hell of a man. And he is, I will say this publicly, and I've said it before quietly and any other way, Ron Washington, and you can watch some videos of him. Ron Washington is the best coach of any sport I've ever seen. And I've seen some. I'm about right? to say you've like that's that's some high praise. You've seen some people though. I, I've been with him. I've been with him on some things. So like on Sunday mornings, we'd have these things called Kaiser Permanente clinics, right? So we wouldn't have batting practice. And it's a free clinic for fans or whoever to come. And there'd be like, well, I don't know, 50 fans out there. We divided them up into groups. Each coach had a station, you know, grounders, pop flies, just a kind of a it wasn't a clinic as much as it was kind of a fun day to get on the field, right, yeah. for these people. Well, I've, I've seen him take kids without a glove or flip-flops or whatever, turn them into fielders. It just 
like never, never done it before in their life. Like, oh my God, you know, like it's crazy. And I continually watch this guy and, but he's also somebody of great integrity. And, and I felt like I'm here in LA, he gets a job. I think things happen for a reason. There, there's no such thing as luck or happenstance. Nope. And, it, and he's here and I'm here and I say, let's go. And he said, we gotta have you, let's go. So they have a really good young uh, director of strength and conditioning that was hired before Wash got the job. His name is Dylan Centula, mark that down. I like him. He's not like a lot of the young coaches that, that I ran into and perhaps you too that um, are fearful of somebody with experience. I mean, he's embraced what we're doing. And um, thankfully, this is an interesting, you know, and I think you'll understand that. And I want the people who are listening to this to understand this when I say it. I've been with them now since November 20th. And him and I have talked almost every day. So he's He's a young 30 something guy and, 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 uh, hasn't quite reached double digits in his coaching career. So, wow. so I'm, I'm there to help and mentor and, and do what he needs. But since then, I've never heard him say the term head strength and conditioning coach or assistant one time. He says, it's just two guys working in the big leagues. That's the way I look at it. So that's, that's unbelievable. And like, for me hearing you talk about all of that, like, how i mean you've done so much so to still like keep having the itch like hey bravo to you to keep doing it but like <laughs> what yeah. like what what continues to motivate you like that might be some th something that our listeners are asking like what it, based off of all those like nobody else would have known like hey you got to make a turn when you're at the olympics people would be like what but like you yeah. like what still drives you to do like cuz you just took on a new role Right now, anybody listening, this is less than three three months old. Like, yeah, what get what pushes you to do what you do after everything you've achieved in your career? I think it. I said it earlier, right? You know, I don't. I I think it's a, a safe statement to say I don't have anything left to to prove in my career. Um, you know, I've 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 left places better than when I arrived. I've got plenty of accomplishments. But I feel like uh, plenty of achievements, but I got plenty to accomplish still, Justin. I mean, there's, you know, I, I want to make I want to make Dylan a superstar. You know, I want to I want to make them. I want to have the effect on athletes. I mean, that's what we do is what we do is we help. We're fixers. You know, essentially, we're fixers. We're janitors. We come in and fix and clean it up. You're right. Right. And and I I continue to have the same passion not only for you know, the job, but for the profession, as you well know, I've been a huge advocate. I've, you know, I've been on yes. the board of directors. I've been the vice president of the NSCA yep. and yep. Uh, I'm not quiet about how I feel about the profession. I'm also as critical as anybody of, of why we are where we're at. Right. And so I, I just think it's, you know, I don't ever see myself moving off of it. I, it's just something that, you know, I mean, I certainly have hobbies, you know, I like to fish, I like to hunt. I just, I took up the electric guitar for a little bit and we got <laughs> hey, back to that. Here we go. So I, yeah. So I, you know, I, I stopped that in eighth grade when, when I was, ended up playing three sports. So there's no time to do that. So I dropped it. My son ended up trying to pick it up here and decided, I said, give me that thing. You know, I still have a few, a few things I remember. So now I got my room right in there where I go in there and amp it up and go, you know, so. Uh, I, I, I definitely see myself being a rhythm guitarist in a band here pretty soon. No that's, doubt. That's not like that. I don't know if anybody else listening to this is going to feel that way, but for me hearing you say that, like it's maybe a little bit of a confirmation bias, but I don't ever see myself not working in athletics and coaching people either. So it's, yeah. it's kind of nice to hear. It's like, yeah, man, like that's, you're, you're still like, you're still just out there at that pace car. Like everybody's still just kind of like following you, like <laughs> setting that example, man. So that's, that's awesome to hear. What a nice thing. Well, I, I enjoy it, you know, and and, I, and honestly, I also think, uh, and you've seen me on social media. So I, I think that people need to be shown the best ways or at least options. Right. So I, I want to make sure when I see something that's wrong, I have to say something. I can't leave it alone. I just can't. And, and, and I, and I look back, I look back at me and I think this is what you can do too, at some point, or even right now, I, I think about, I don't think about myself the way when you mentioned it, I'm certainly flattered and, and, you know, 
it's accurate. I don't know what else to say on that, but, <laughs> but, 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 but sometimes you have to look at your thing and say, man, that's, that's a hell of a resume, right? You know, if yeah. I wasn't, if it wasn't me and somebody said, here, take a look at this, I go, whoa, you know, there's some shit right there. <laughs> so, so I, and so the, when I see that and I, I, I hear about when people speak or they write, my, my go-to phrase is, you know, be careful what you write because somebody might believe it. And I think a lot of times people don't think that far or they actually think that what they're saying is right, which is even worse. <laughs> so so I, I can't let that go, man. I can't let that go. I, I, I know what's right now. And, and this is the one thing I have the virtue of. Right? I'm 66 right now. Proud as hell to say that. I'm in great shape. I feel good. You know, and if I can't, you know, and if I can't deliver anymore, I'll know when that is. Uh, but I, 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 um, I don't have any opinions anymore. I got examples, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't have to guess as much now as things evolve, certainly, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Eric Renahan, I'm looking at uh, Lauren Green at, at, um, at Hawkins, you know, I, my, my mentors are younger and younger every day. I got kids that are 25 years old teaching me stuff. I'm not stopping. Um, I'm, you know, one of the reasons I'm not, I don't want to be late to the party. I don't want to be the dumbass sitting in the room like, <laughs> you know, do you have any questions? No, no, I don't have any questions. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. I want, I want to say something, you know what I mean? So I, yeah, I'm driven. I like it. You know, I mean, I, I, people have talked a number of times about certain people being workaholics. I enjoy it. That, I, I like sitting there just reading stuff and figuring out, you know, how people are getting better and how coaches are growing and people get good, good jobs and they, they move up. And that's exciting for me. And I, you know, as much as I used to really enjoy talking about training and certainly I still do, but I love people calling me up like, coach, I just, you know, I just got this job offer. What, what do you think, you know, what's the best way to go at this? You know, there's, there's a couple of things I thought I should ask for. And I, I enjoy that more than anything. The fact that somebody would call me and ask me for my opinion is, you know, you, you can't ever take that for granted, you know, and I, and I don't. I mean, that's kind of what this was. It was like my, my way to get some advice from you, but that everybody else could listen to it. Like full disclosure, because I do, like I, like I said, I was a fanboy when I got to call in on, um, on the CVAS and be, I was like, I told my wife, I was like, I was on the show. Like I got to, <laughs> I got to ask questions. You know what I mean? Like, so. It, 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 you, you for sure have blazed that trail though, because that's why I asked about like becoming an athletic director. Like, yeah. is that what you want to do? Because if, if you've been somebody that's pushing it forward. So I, I think of yeah. another young coach, like Nick DeMarco down at Elon and what he's yeah. been able to do and he's pushed yeah. the field forward and he's an assistant athletic director and how he's branded and done things for the better. Like more and more coaches, if they have those good examples, because an example that I think of is from, uh, church this past weekend where they were talking about, no, it wasn't church. It was alpha, uh, our, uh, our small group that we had on Tuesday night where they were talking about, like, as long as if there's hope, like it, it, and it, it shows yes. that there was an example of it could be done. And like, so the fact that we're pushing this forward and there are individuals like you that have done it and there's the Nick DeMarcos and there's the other assistant athletic directors that are pushing this thing forward. That's who we do continue to need a champion. And that's what's, that's what this cheeky midweek is all about. It's we're making it, we're highlighting the people in the field. So that way those younger generation have something to be like, Hey, I want to do that. And like, that's the whole point of all of this. Well, I mean, I, 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 I can't be more flattered. I mean, honestly, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say to that other than, uh, it makes me feel like I'm going in the right direction. If I wasn't, then anybody could see that as a selfish, a selfish, you know, effort. Uh, but none of this is about me. I've already done me. Right. Yeah. And I want to be able to tell people like, well, here's, here's what, what, what could happen. Not because I think it might not because it's some sort of opinion because it did. I seen it. I seen it with me, my friends, my colleagues. I know, I know these things. And, and I want somebody to, at the same time, I want somebody to enjoy the fact that, you know, I'm in Beijing with the Olympic team. I'm, I'm, we're warming up and, you know, we're in Yankee stadium and Spike Lee and Billy Crystal are hanging out, you know, talking to me about you know, the team and just, just, you know, Huey Lewis, Huey Lewis's drummer is in the front row 
he's a season ticket holder with the A's, Billy Gibson, and him and I are now great friends. You know, I'm a big music person. And so, you know, now I'm, you know, they come to Santa Barbara and, and uh, I go backstage and Chicago's playing in in the meantime. And I just want to go out to dinner with these guys. So we go out to me and Huey and Billy go out for dinner and, and now they're going down to LA. And so we're sitting there eating dinner and, and Huey's like, so what do you guys think we should do next week? What's our, what's our song list? You know? And I'm like, I mean, I'm just a normal dude sitting there going, you got to be kidding me. This is, <laughs> you know, just those kind of things. But those things all became a product, Justin, of of sports, right, of athletics and being able to be a part of that. And so, I mean, th- th- these things can go in a lot of places. And it's just exciting to me. I mean, I'm, again, I, I'm just some normal, you know, uh, you know, normal kid that had a, a moderate lifestyle, it was just middle income family and, you know, played sports and enjoyed all that and just kind of took this avenue. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a classic sort of thing that I walked my resume in, walked it in and sat, sat it on the desk at UCLA because I was visiting Los Angeles. <laughs> the guy, the guy said, well, we have a position open, but I don't know if it's going to be possible. I go back home and I get a call. And, uh, you know, we don't, it's 84, you know, there's no cell phones or anything. So, no. you know, I, hello, hi, this is John Arce. You know, we have a position open, it's $10,000, but no guarantees. I'll be there. <laughs> Off we go, <laughs> you know, lived, lived in my, in my in-laws in, in a bedroom with my in-laws for almost a year before we, you know, end up having to be able to move out and, you know, go to, you know, Rose bowls and fiesta bowls and, final eights and you know i leave the year i leave i go to to the a's the next year that team wins the national championship and it just happens to be the year that we break the strike so tony says larusa says hey let's take the staff down and watch the game <laughs> so we go we come back from the strike and we're sitting there watching the team that you know like, it's just you, you just look at it I'm, I'm like walter mitty you know i mean i'm like who is this guy so you guys like in a dream world you know there is no better place to end it right there. We've talked for over an hour. I greatly appreciate being able to learn from you. I know everybody else has. Um, thank you for everything in this conversation. And thank you, like I said, for everything that you've done for this profession and continue to do. Wow. This was a gift. This was a gift to me, a late Christmas gift. Appreciate it. Have a good one, brother. All right. See you.